things you own end up owning you. What's going on, cutie pies? Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Hans Amato. Hans is the founder of his company, Men Elite, where he coaches men on how to improve their health and optimize their well-being. Hans is based in South Africa, so we recorded this podcast uh, quite early on LA time. So pardon me if I sound a little stupid for uh, chewing up my words and stuttering here and there. Hans and I talk about how he got into fitness. We bro out a little bit about uh, Vince Gironda and his work. We talk about how Hans discovered the writings of Ray Pete. We talk uh, supplements, his thoughts on weight training, and just what his overall approach is to help clients improve their health. Hans is a very nice guy to chat with, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way, brother. I appreciate it. Nah, thanks it's for your my time. pleasure, man. So yeah, I was, you know, I was in the uh, uh, Ray Pete world and looking around and Googling around and looking at stuff. And I found some of your articles, which were awesome, and started reading some of those. Um, and then I was listening to this podcast called the, um, is it the Prime Initiative? Sorry if I'm fucking that up. I'm trying to remember the... Primitive, oh, I think. Yeah, Primitive. Yeah, yeah, Primitive Initiative podcast. Great podcast. And you were on it, and uh, you guys started talking, and you started talking about uh, Vince Gironda. And I was like, oh, my people, you know, because, I mean, I, I lived in L.A., you know, and he used to have his dream out here, and I have a bunch of his books, and um, was a big fan. And, you know, and also with all his flaws and all that, but, you know, I'm kind of, I, I immediately was like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. So, um, you know, I just <laughs> wanted to know, like, uh, I mean, how did you get into, you know, health and fitness and all that? What's your story? Did you start lifting, like, high school, like everybody else does, or uh, how'd you get into that? Yeah, yeah, basically high school, my when I was still young, my dad had a little bit of home gym, so he was hitting it at home, but he wasn't all too serious, and then when I got a little bit older, he wanted to do weight training in a gym with me, like just to bond better, you know, mm. so he had this book, which was written by a sport professional, so it was more for like guys that was doing football style training, like sports, not necessarily for bodybuilding and stuff, so it was like sort of a functional style training, so we did that three times a week, and then I got really into it, and I loved it, so I was like, I want to do this more. So I'm going to go uh, additional days to the gym. So that was basically what I did in high school. And then when I went to college, I started doing um, five days a week. I found Mike O'Hearn. So he basically started power bodybuilding. Mike I started O'Hearn, that. Wow. <laughs> so did you start yeah, so, taking guts so, right away or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, so what happened was I was like Googling because I never did any of my research myself. Although I did find it interesting, my dad had these old bodybuilding books, like typically the 80s, 70s, maybe even 60s bodybuilders. Is it like Arnold so I was Schwarzenegger trying to go through and stuff that. like that? Sorry to interrupt you. I was thinking, is yeah. it like Arnold Schwarzenegger books and all that kind of stuff? I might have one here. Yeah, it's yes. Sort of. There you go. Encyclopedia, right? <laughs> sort of those? Yeah, something similar <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic. That was great, man. So I was just like reading through it and trying to find out like exercises, but I didn't really comprehend everything because I was really young. So... When I got to college, I was like, I'm trying to research these things myself. And then I, I came across um, a Rob Reaches. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this guy is big. So he did a video with Mike. And I was like, wow, this guy is huge. Like, I've got to get this guy's program. <laughs> and I started doing his program. And I made some great gains over the years. Um, but then um, 
I kind of like moved away from that, you know, and then Martin Burkham also came into the mix with intermittent fasting and all those kind of stuff. Of course. And back then I was just like not really experimenting on my own to find what was working. And then um, as I got married, we moved into a flat and we didn't really have any weights. There was also not a gym available. So, you know, I had to start um, come up with different ways of how to exercise. So I was then incorporating like things like scalisthenics and uh, try to use light weights to make it very effective. So um, funny story is like since we didn't have weights, I, I took these five liter water bottles mm-hmm. and then I started lifting with the water bottles and then I would add multiple water bottles together <laughs> to make my weights. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this is too complicated. I'm just going to buy myself some weights. Oh man, um, I did that too. You know, I have uh, my family is part, spread across Russia and Ukraine and we have like a little um, uh, a vacation home in uh, Ukraine, the Crimea part, you know. And uh, I used to go there, and whenever I'd go there, I love that spot because it's like just a chill little town where we just hang out, beach, and eat like you know farm-grown food. But there's nothing there. There's no gym. There wasn't. There wasn't even internet back then, you know. And s- still, some days it's like choppy, you know. It's awful. But but you know, you get away from that stuff. But on the other hand, like I said, there's no gym, so like I really want to work out. So I used to do the same thing. I would fill it up, but I would fill it up with like. Uh, rice and beans and potatoes and stuff and, and do the same thing and try curling and shit you know and yeah it's not not the best setup but you know whatever whatever gets the job done right <laughs> yeah it works man it works so actually like right before I got married I was um, reading uh, Anabolic Men with Ali mm-hmm. and then he mentioned Vince Rada, but he was basically talking about the eggs and he was talking about using glandular supplements like the testis and stuff like that Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of like brushed it off, I ignored it. But then like a few months later, I was like, I got to check this guy out. It's really interesting what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's been basically when I started my venture on journey. I uh, tried to find as much content as possible on him, like the way he trained. And then I experimented like with his diet. That's when I went into the keto stuff, like the zero carb. Of course, of course. And, uh, and honestly, you know, initially it was, it was relatively okay. Uh, but like after two months, you feel like you're, you're burning out in a way like this oh, is yeah. really getting difficult to mm-hmm. operate in this way. You're feeling a weird stimulation effect. So I didn't quite like that. Yeah. I mean, and then it, I- it's you get um, he, he's very well known for being kind of, you know, even though I love a lot of his humor and, you know, some of his writings, it's kind of like. A lot of it is no bullshit. And he was ahead of his time in some aspects, I think. You know what I mean? Um, but he's very well known to be kind of a dick, right? Like everybody says he, he – there's that <laughs> yeah. story of Arnold showing up to the gym here in the Valley and um, Arnold not being Arnold yet. He was just – you know, he just moved to the States. He's just being a bodybuilder. And he walks into Vince's gym and he says um, – Hey, I'm Arnold, and he's and Vince just goes, "You look like a fat fuck to me," and that that's the story, you know. And so, yeah, yeah and I think there's something to that because man, it's it's hard to eat roast beef and mayonnaise for seven days straight, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just you don't feel like having a good time all the time after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's funny. I remember another story from Vince. You know, he took his nutritional advice really seriously, and if if people didn't do it, he kind of like flipped out. So I remember this one story. There was this guy. 
It was like having a loaf of bread in the gym. And Vince <laughs> just walked over. He took the bread and like threw it across the gym. <laughs> yes. Get the fuck out. That was really funny. Yeah, there's yeah. a similar one about sit-ups, you know, because he was super anti-overtraining um, abs. Whereas a lot of guys back in those days, the golden era and the silver era, as they called it, those guys would do, you know. F- like there's one of my favorite bodybuilders, um, Zabo Kaczynski. You ever heard of him? Zabo? Uh, I don't think well, so. Well, you should you should check him out. But you know, he he had he doesn't have a lot of writings. He's more of a kind of you know a guy just that was there doing it at the time, um, pre Arnold era. Anyway, he used to do like five hundred leg raises and five hundred Roman chair sit ups every every workout. That was like his thing, and, and he <laughs> did have phenom- phenomenal laps. But uh, Vince's thing was like, no, don't do that because you know you're not gonna. Um, you're not going to burn off all that fat just doing all those sit-ups. So you got to focus on the diet. You got to focus on other things. So he was super anti-overtraining abs. He did have some abdominal trainings, but it would be like, you know, stuff that's similar to hypertrophy training, like 3 by 12 3 15 whatever. So anyway, one guy's doing sit-ups in the gym, and the same thing. He just walks over and gives him a pa- paper, and it has his uh, refund on it to the gym. and just get the fuck out of here, and <laughs> yeah. that's that. <laughs> yeah, man. That guy is legend. Um, yeah, he had some issues, but uh, really respectful for, for the things he did. Like, it really uh, inspired me. Um, one of the exercises that I really still do that he um, he regarded very high is the wide grip chest dips. That's mm-hmm. basically, he said, you got to do that. And that is basically one of the best chest exercises you can do. So I Arna, still do it to this day. Yeah. And Larry Scott is also, who is the first Mr. Olympia, if people don't know. Larry Scott was also a big fan of that. There's lots of pictures of him doing it where you kind of have your chin down, you flare out your elbows, and it just really hits that outer lower part of the pec, doesn't it? It's it's a great exercise too. Whereas, whereas the standard yeah. dips, it's kind of like a mix in between shoulder triceps and, and pecs, right? Whereas the wider yeah. one, just especially if you put your chin down and lean into it a little bit, oh man, it just kills your pecs, right? Yeah, yeah, you should do it on rings, man. That's a lot more difficult, but it's a I, lot of fun as well. Yeah, I do that too, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm big into ring training, l- l- a big fan of that stuff. Um, you know, I started gymnastics when I was a kid too. So, yeah, big into that. Um, so w- when you cool, discovered uh, Vince's work, did you start doing some of his programs? Like, I don't know, 4 by 15? No, yeah, 15 sets of 4, 10 by 10, 8 by 8, 6 by 6. Uh, I started doing, like, yeah, the most common one was the 8 by 8 and the 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. And but then I the one that caught my attention was the four sides to a muscle, mm-hmm. where you basically pick four exercises for each muscle group and then you run through the cycle like twice. So you have a morning workout and then you have an evening workout, and that was like that made a lot of sense to me. So, so I basically tried that out, had a lot of results with it. But the thing is, like it, it's almost like you're doing one giant set because it is basically a giant set. You're, yeah. you're having no rest between each exercises. So that was basically really high intensity exercise that I did on his part. I did get great gains, but then I didn't make great strength gains. Like I did gain strength and what inspired me or at least motivated me to continue with his style of training was that even in his sixties, he could do a wide grip bench press with like 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so this guy is strong. So his training must be effective for strength training as well. Mm-hmm. So I kept at it. Um, but eventually I just switched back to longer rest because then I, you know, the research convinced me that basically if you are going to do like high intensity workouts, mm-hmm. you are going to spike your cortisol mm-hmm. and that's going to be a lot more stressful in your body. So I was like, okay, I'm going to switch back to more of a traditional style. I'm going to do some longer rest, uh, lower reps because Vince was all about like 12 mm-hmm. or so reps. And um, so I was 
going back to a strength training, maybe starting with a heavy set of six and then um, doing a similar approach still, but I would go six reps on the first exercise, eight, 10, 12 on the fourth exercise. So I would then increase. And that was, I also had success with that. Um, but then eventually I just completely switched away from four sides to a muscle and short mm-hmm. rest. Although I would rather do, I, I, would, I would do a mix between the power bodybuilding. So you have your powerlifting exercise first, long rest to build the mass and the size. And mm-hmm. then I would basically go for the four sides to a muscle afterwards, which is more of the hypertrophy work. And I also found that to be great. Um, but then again, you can run into things like, you know, you're working too hard. And the thing I really, that got me away from that style of training was I wanted to be more functional. And you look at these, these powerlifters and bodybuilders and, you know, they can't do a pistol squat. They can't do a muscle up. They can't do anything of that. So I wanted to, I really enjoy doing poker and free running. But if you're heavy, you're kind of like slow. And the way you train specifically with powerlifting and bodybuilding doesn't make you fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't make you an athlete. You have to train in a specific way to um, get your muscles to work optimally to jump high. You don't want your antagonist and agonist to work against each other. Of course. Yeah, so I, to- I, like, I totally agree with you, man. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, that's kind of the big misconception too, is with people that just don't work out, right? Is, if, is, if, is, if, ugh, sorry, if they see somebody who's, you know, a super jacked Michael Hearn, and Michael Hearn may be very athletic and, uh, you know, a huge power lifter with all kinds of records, but they just think if somebody's super jacked, it's like, oh, he must be super athletic. And that's not always the case, you know? And even in, in Vince's book, um, uh, the, the wild Phys- unleashing the wild physique is the name of the book, um, which is a great book. Even he says himself that what he does is cosmetic bodybuilding, meaning you know he wants you to look good. He's not trying to get you to do, like you said, pistol squats or you know inverted rows or whatever it is. You know he's just trying to get you to do, trying to get you to look better. Um, although I think you know. With him, because he was able to do one-arm chin-ups. There's pictures of him doing a chin-up with some weights hanging on him. He was a very athletic guy. So, you know, again, a lot of flaws, but I still, my biggest takeaway from him is like, I I think a lot of people started to love those like 6x6, 8x8, 10x10, just because a lot of people go would, would used to go into the gym, and still to this day, go to the gym, they lay down on their bench press, they do a set. Then they do four sets on their iPhone. They do their fucking, you know, text messaging and all that. And then they do another set. And then, and then like, you know, it's like a three-hour workout, but they did like five sets. They're barely sweating. And I think he was just the first guy to kind of be like, hey, let's work out. Let's get the fuck out, right? Like, let's get some work in, you know? And in, in those days, and like I said, even today, people just don't do that. So I think that's why a lot of those programs, people think that that's all that he was about. Um, but if you read his book, yeah, he has uh, all sorts of stuff. He, he used to do, you know, four reps for 15 sets, which is very much strength training kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just think he was way ahead of his time, you know, in many aspects. <laughs> yeah, I was just bummed that he died early. I was like, totally. because I, I would typically take someone like Vince, which is just completely opposite from Pete. And I was like, let's see who's <laughs> going to live the longest, you know, and then I'm going to decide like... <laughs> if the Vince Jonah diet is bad or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Maybe that's yeah. flawed, but that's what I thought. Well, the so story like... that I know around town is that, yeah, the last 20 years, you know, fitness industry took over and nobody wants those kind of people like him around anymore. They're kind of like, no, quote unquote, bullshit, you know, whatever that means. But I just think he he had like a troubled relationship with his son, I think. It was, you know, I, I think it's a lot of aspects, you know. I don't think it was only the diet. Although, of course, the stories of him doing 
like a steak and eggs diet for nine months to get shredded for contests. I don't think that did him a lot of good for his health longevity <laughs> <Yeah>. wise, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. You always said that if you really want to see the effect of an exercise or a diet, you have to do it for like nine months. Mm -hmm. it's like, that's pretty crazy. I'm not going to do that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I mean, he was a committed motherfucker and he got a lot of people into the game. Um, one of his students is still around, um, Muhammad Makaway. Do you know that uh, bodybuilder? Oh, he was my favorite um, the bodybuilder from the Vince, the, yeah. the Vince train team. So, man, phenomenal physique. Crazy. Phenomenal, phenomenal. A short guy, you know, not a not a big guy. He was so probably that's why he never got you know the Olympia crown, but totally worthy of it, right? Great, great physique, and yeah, one of my favorites, and just an overall very nice guy. And I've I've read some of his writings too. He has a few out there, and I think he's trying to get into the game now too. Also doing some um, seminars stuff like that. Cool guy. So what else did you? So you know, a lot of people from go from Vince. Uh, low carb stuff to like maybe Charles Poliquin. Are you into that kind of guy? Those sort of writings. Do you know who he is? I, I did check his stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did check his stuff. And but that was when I was well into doing right beat. Um, so I was not really convinced with doing like Charles Poliquin was all about doing really long eccentrics, mm -hmm. like a ten second eccentric or eight second eccentric. And I was like, you know, perhaps that is effective. But he was mostly training people for sport. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's going to be more effective than what I'm currently doing. If you just focus on the muscle and you do a controlled concentric and eccentric, you will still get great results. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I've really gave him a worthy shot. You know, I haven't really given him nine months of my training time. Yeah, <laughs> so it, I can't it, really it's say put out there as sort of like the, the top of the science chain kind of training you know that he kind of knows everything and you know i love the guy and i met him and i've worked with him and you know also has you know everybody has flaws but i'm just saying yeah so you know it, it it's it's definitely like you said on the spectrum of being an athlete so there's like you know a lot of complex training programs but a lot of them are simple too um but it just seems like the, the, the progression, natural progression, at least with people I talked to, is like Vince Gironda, then Charles Poliquin, because he was also all about <laughs> kind of earn your carbs and, um, you know, have your meat and nuts for breakfast kind of thing. So I don't know if you've, you've read that article, Meat and Nut Breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everybody knows Yeah, he was one. similar to uh, that carb backload guy. Mm -hmm. Like he is basically the same principle. And I was just like, you know, after I've read Pete's work and – you know, you, you, you understand the concept that you don't really have to earn your carbs. Your body can basically use the carbohydrates just fine. Mm -hmm. If it's not going to be stored, it's going to be oxidized. You really don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And if you really look at the research, carb doesn't make you fat. You don't have to be in a low-carb diet to remain lean or anything like that. So I just didn't give his dietary advice any any second thought, especially since he recommended enormous doses of fish oils. <laughs> yes. <So> I was <laughs> like, which I've done, sadly. <laughs> I've done the 30 wow. grams of, yeah, man, it's pretty, not for a long time, because I would just have the worst fucking gastritis, you know, I would just have these fish burps, and then you'll write to him, and you're like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, you're using the bad quality fish oil, you gotta buy my fish oil, and then you buy his fish oil, and I have the same result. <laughs> And then, and then it's like, oh, you don't, you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. You got to start taking hydrochloric acid with it. And then it's like, nope, still getting fish burps and just, uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I, I tried it, you know, because I'm all about kind of, you know, I want to experience it because at the end of the day, I, you and I, you know, if we disagree on something, you'll have 30 studies and I'll have 30 studies and they'll say the complete opposite thing. So it's like, 
I mean, what the, we're not getting anywhere with that. So to me, it's just like, let's experience it, you know? So I, I start, I try everything, you know, unless if it's, I mean, I'm not going to jump off a building, but you know what I'm saying? If it sounds like yeah. something, okay, like, all right. So I give it a shot. And if it's not working for me, it's not working for me. I, I don't give a shit how many studies you have to tell me that it, this is the best thing or not. You know, it's just, you know, vice versa. If it's working for me, but all the studies you have say that, oh, well, you know, the NASAM fitness group proved, and it's like, I don't care. It's working for me. You know, I'm building muscle or whatever. So you mentioned yeah. Ray Pete. So um, how did you get into his work? What was your first, like, initial drop into that world? Yeah, so basically I was, when I was doing, re like, I was really fascinated with Vincent Ronda. I was trying to find everything on him, and especially with his use of, he was even using, like, uh, vitamin C and vitamin E around the workout and around the diet. And I was like, well, the research shows that it blunts hypertrophy response. And I was like, well, then should probably have known better. But, you know, uh, recent research have basically concluded that antioxidants doesn't really, or specifically vitamin C and E doesn't really mess with the hypertrophy response from exercise. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, he is recommending specifically weed germ oil. So I was wondering, is there something specific to the weed germ oil? And I tried to search online. I couldn't find anything except one link and that was to the rapid form. So oh, wow. then I came across Hayded Stokovit. Mm. And I was just amazed because he completely removed the polyunsaturated fats, but contained all the good stuff. So it was all these waxes and long chain saturated fats with the vitamin E. So I was like, wow, this is a phenomenal <laughs> vitamin E supplement. This, mm -hmm. Like Vince would be proud <laughs> of mm -hmm. such a supplement. Um, so that was basically when I uh, came across Hayded and I checked out. Uh, all of his other work and that was like really interesting so i was just um at first i was like it's a repeat form but i don't see repeat on the forum and then eventually I, <laughs> which people don't I know learned. he's like yeah it's like it's not the guy <laughs> if you're looking for ray yeah. pete you're like where's the workouts of him bench pressing i don't get it where's the videos of <laughs> ray <laughs> yeah yeah so um then I just basically read a lot of hated stuff i went onto his like, profile and i just checked out all his content mm -hmm. Because he seemed to be kind of one of the most prolific posters on the forum, and he seemed to really know a lot because he's been doing it for a long time. So that's basically when I started learning a lot about the carbohydrates and how to make it work for you, and you know debunking a lot of the other science like PUFAS is bad for you, even omega three, um, beware of excess phosphate, and all of those kind of stuff. And that was basically my intro. And once I've gone peating, you know, it just feels like it resonates so much if you read like Ray's work specifically on his website mm -hmm. and through his newsletters, it just makes so much sense that if you see an opposing study like Bufas is good, you feel like Ray has like the amount of research or the depth of the research that Ray have done is just mind boggling to me. Like every mm -hmm. time he's on a podcast or he's writing a newsletter and you know, you, you have this snippy answer in your head, like, okay, you're wrong on this because this and this, yeah. And then, you know, Pete just cites <laughs> a study and you're like, okay, my understanding of biology is wrong. Yeah. So it, it's just crazy the like the understanding that he has like all the way down into biology. You, you can't solve a problem here. You have to go all the way to the root. And that's what I feel that Ray Pete understands uh, more than most people how the body works. Yeah. And I so love that too. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's it's so, like it's like with bodybuilding, right? Or or you know, just being working out. You know, you'll have a person. How do I get big biceps? Do do these three sets of curls? You know, and it's like okay, and you know, 
you'll do those curls and it's not growing and you're like, how do I get big biceps? The bodybuilder will tell you the same thing, you know, but what you're not realizing is that this bodybuilder has this huge understanding of how to tense the muscle, how to feel it. He's been doing it for 10 years, you know what I'm saying? So he has a great mind-muscle connection, which like a thing that nobody really talks about these days, right? It's just about do this movement and that's it. It's like, you know, there's this huge understanding. And the same thing I feel like is happening with Ray Pete, right? It's like, he's not, he hasn't just read all the articles and studies on the stuff. He kind of really understands, you know, physiology and biology. And he may be, he may be wrong or maybe proved wrong in the future. God knows. But at least you, you get a sense of, like you said, he has an understanding. It's not just him reciting and regurgitating a lot of, you know, studies, right? Like a lot of people do. And they think that I get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally agree, man. But and it's it's correct what you mentioned about like the way people train nowadays is they don't have a mind to muscle connection. And this is also the principles from Vince that I've learned um, is basically you have to visualize the muscle the way you want to train it. And I have found that you know you can have great mind to muscle connection, but you still have to visualize how you want the muscle to look. Because I found that let's say I'm doing a tricep dip and I'm just not focusing on the movement, even though I have a great mind to muscle connection. Like, okay, I want my triceps to look like Muhammad Makaway's triceps. Yeah, some of the best, yeah. And, <laughs> and then I can immediately feel that I'm shifting my body in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then I'm definitely feeling my triceps while I'm doing the dips. So you have to visualize There's a lot of concepts from Vince yeah. uh, that has helped me out. And, of and, my, you're, and uh, you're not going to get it right? in, in doing it for a few weeks or a few months. You, you got to try it. It's just like anything in life, you know. People think it's just, you know, I mean – at the end of the day, yes, of course, training can be made simple. Just go in, do these sets, and get out. Of course, you know, as a beginner, that's fine. But as you progress, you're going to have to start thinking about some of these things because, you know, I can, I can do a row with my, with my back or I can do a row with my bicep. Do you know what I'm saying? Where, where I'm pulling something. And a lot of beginners do that. That's one common mistake for back training. People who have like, you know, giant pecs, but they just have no idea how to engage their lats. When they're doing their rows or pull-ups, they're just only using their biceps because they just haven't even thought about like, oh, I have to visualize or think about pulling my elbow back and not pulling my arm towards me, which that will in- increase my, you know, bicep. And if we're trying to train back, why are you trying to make your bicep work? You got to make your back work. So, you know, th- things like that are really important to me. Yeah, like uh, proper training is hard work for sure. It's it's not just physically uh, demanding. It's also mentally demanding. And no matter how long you do it, you still have to be conscious to remind yourself to focus on the muscle that you're working. And it doesn't necessarily become automatic. You can still detrain in that way. Totally, totally. So you got into uh, Ray's work and you started reading the articles. And um, was there before that? Was there you know a certain way that you were doing things with your diet and your you know overall lifestyle that changed when you started getting into Ray Pete's work? Um, I wouldn't say much. I would say like obviously I was doing Venturano's work, so it was completely the opposite. So I was like reading Pete's work and I was like, okay, great, I can have milk. And have my fruit juice, <laughs> which, which lucky for me, I always enjoyed having. Like if I was um, as a child, I would always have, I would prefer drinking milk, eating fruits, especially citrus fruit, and mm. then having occasional meat. So mm. that's basically my diet. And then once I've read pizza stuff, it's like, you know, this suits me perfect. So I'm just going to do it. Like I love those foods. Mm-hmm. So then I think my diet shifted. Uh, I don't think I started immediately with fruits. I just um, got myself some good quality milk, had that. I don't. I didn't cut out protein because I still feel like, you know, if you crave a certain food, you must have it 
like there's so many people that ignore their cravings and they just don't resolve health issues. Like your body is telling you, you need a certain nutrient in that food. So if you crave it, you most likely will benefit from that food, depending obviously on what kind of food that is of course, or what nutrient is in that food. So let's say, for example, you crave meat. So the saturated fat could be calming for you. It could be increasing your metabolic rate, your temperatures, which will have a benefit on you. So um, so I felt in that regard, like I really enjoy meat, so mm-hmm. I want to eat more meat. And funny enough, I don't know if it's specifically because it's summer and it's hotter. I feel that I don't crave meat at all. So I'm just having a bunch of milk and fruit juice mm-hmm. and occasional uh, shellfish and occasional liver. So that's basically my diet. And um, so, so I take that as a sign, like I'm, I'm not going to eat meat because I'm not going to crave it. I'm not going to force myself to consume something. Like I was able to get a really good quality organ meat mix and I was consuming that for a while, but then I just completely lost my taste for it. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to stop eating it. No matter how many benefits these foods might have, how many micronutrients they have, mm-hmm. I'm just going to listen to my body. Like I'm probably replenished, so I don't need it. It's so refreshing to hear, man. Cause you know, a lot of people will say like, I stopped eating this because I read a bunch of research, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and like I said, there's a place and a time and a place for that, and that's great. But at the end of the day, again, it's like, yeah, man, listening to your body and actually being honest with yourself. Like, are you craving these things? Are you wanting these things? You know, and yeah, it's a lot of indoctrination that goes into it, right? It's also like with sugar thing. It's like you're craving sugar. Well, you know why you're craving sugar, Ans? It's because you're a you're a sugar addict. You have an you have a problem, you know. And it's just like, is it though? You know, and yeah, same thing with me. You know, before even hearing the name Ray, um, I uh, I also kind of discovered for myself that like hmm, when I eat a lot of starchy bread or rice, man, it just feels like it. I feel like I have a tire around my gut right away. And whereas if I eat the same amount or even more of fruits. Um, I just don't feel as heavy. I don't feel as bloated. So I always had that in the back of my mind of like, yeah, if I want some carbs, you know, it seems like for me, fruits always do a better job. I always feel lighter on them. And plus I'm getting all these vitamins and minerals and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, you have your starchy rice and whatever. It's like, it's really not that much nutrients in it, right? Which is funny because, you know, all the bodybuilding forums or whatever, it's always about like eat your oats, eat your brown rice because that's the healthy stuff. And I'm, I've am i always said that even, you know, when I was really young, like, but it doesn't really have a lot of nutrition, does it? So like, why are we supposed to eat all this oatmeal that has like, I don't even know, has some trace, you know, traces of B vitamins, et cetera, right? It's like not, not even nothing there really. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever have to recover uh, metabolically from something? Did I have to recover metabolically from it? From something. Did you ever feel like you were metabolically compromised and you had to recover? Oh, definitely, definitely. In my low-carb kind of Vince days, you know, when when I was the same thing, when I was very convinced, like, okay, you don't really need carbs at all. You know, I never did, like, a prolonged meat diet, like a carnivore diet. I did do that for weeks at a time. You know, I've tested that, messed around with it. But I would always come back to like, oh my god, I need to eat some fucking ice cream or I'm gonna kill somebody. <laughs> so, so I would, I, I started, so I kind of stuck to eating a lower carb diet, doing sort of the Vince, Vince Gironda way, which is you know maybe two to three days you're having no carbohydrate and then you're refueling. So that always worked for me, you know, you know, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Like, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it does work, right? Like having a low carb diet. Cutting out your 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 carbs works for a lot of people. A lot of people lose a lot of fat. 
even if they're not trying to count their calories, even if they're eating a good amount of food, you know, there's got to be something to it. I mean, what are your thoughts? You, you know, is it just initially, do you think it's, you know, water weight, as people say? I mean, why do you think it works for so many people? Well, initially, it's definitely a lot of water weight because you're cutting out a lot of gut irritating foods in the first place. So not a lot of people like vegetables. So now if you're going over to a ketogenic diet, you're most likely not immediately going to introduce a lot of vegetables into your diet anyway. So you're basically getting rid of a lot of water retention in the first two weeks, but that's basically what happens on any diet, if, even if it's high carb, because you're still going to be most likely cutting some carbohydrates. So depending on the health of the person, some people don't lose water when they cut carbs because they're not in an unhealthy state, whereas other people do have water retention from some kind of gut irritating food that they're eating. So, so they will drop weight. But actually, the research have shown that in the span of one year, people in a high-carb diet and a low-carb diet have equal amount of fat loss. Mm -hmm. It's not that one group's actually better than the other one. Yes, initially in the first six months, one group might be ahead of the other one. But then at one year, it basically pans out. And even that, uh, like, um, you know, adhering to the low-carb diet takes a lot of um, determination from people. And the research actually shown that even with weekly classes and education on what foods to avoid, even after one year, people still end up at around 150 grams of carbohydrates per day. So it's just intuitively that people start to eat more carbohydrates because they do feel better. If you're going to feel stressed, you know, you're going to eat that muffin because it makes you feel better. And even people think like, oh, you're addicted to the sugar. Mm -hmm. You're not. That's basically helping with a stress response. Mm -hmm. And people's depriving themselves from that basic uh, nutrients that they need. So obviously, if you're metabolically compromised, um, removing whatever is causing some kind of inflammation can be beneficial in the short term. So if you go on a ketogenic diet, let's say someone is uh, fat, they are overweight, they are they have some kind of metabolic disorder. So they have inflammation going on and that inflammation oxidative stress is causing the mitochondria to be smaller and fragmented. And that in itself is promoting insulin resistance and it oxidizes predominantly fat. So mm -hmm. that type of mitochondria is causing insulin resistance. Um, so basically once you cut out the carbohydrates and you cut out most of the gut irritating foods your body can actually reduce some of the oxidative stress and those mitochondria can the excess small mitochondria can then fuse and become larger, larger mitochondria or they can be consumed by mitophagy and you know, eliminated from the body so once your mitochondria becomes bigger again it can oxidize fuel properly so those small mitochondria despite the fact that they are burning mostly fat they actually have reduced ability to produce energy so you're in a very bad situation on that part. So the solution isn't necessarily cut out carbohydrates. It's fixing your um, cellular health. You want to fix your mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And for that to happen, you have to inhibit lipolysis because your cells are still being flooded with excess fat. Mm -hmm. And the excess fat oxidation is increasing oxidative stress even more and you know, continuing this feed-forward loop. So if you have inflammation, you've been eating a lot of polyunsaturated fats, you will most likely have elevated lipolysis that's flooding the liver, it's increasing triglycerides, it's overwhelming the cells. Right. So people always think about, they, they address it from the wrong side. Let's say lipolysis is the problem, but let's cut out the carbohydrates. It mm -hmm. should be the other way around. But uh, fixing the root cause, which is basically stopping the inflammation, gut irritation, so on, is much more difficult. It, it takes longer to happen. So they just go on a low-carb diet, 
but you know yes yes in I the short that, term you could mm-hmm. sorry man yeah? I, I was gonna say i think that's the big the big key here is that yeah a lot of people it takes time you know and like you said it, if people want quick results and so they just cut out the carbs and then it's like hey it works so you know why think about anything else and i think that that is a big key of why people go on low carbs diets and you know do lose weight or do feel better on them and like you said part of it is because they're also cutting out a lot of bullshit too right yeah yeah and the thing is like let's say someone doesn't even go low carb they just go paleo they're still eliminating a lot of problematic food so it's not that dropping carbs is the bad guy it's drop, dropping some of those irritating foods that can be a problem and like um let's say you are metabolically compromised and you have tried a high, high carb diet and you don't do good on it like mm-hmm. No one is saying you should do that. Perhaps you can start with low, like 100 grams of carbohydrates to 200 grams. That, like, let's say 150. That's a that's a sweet spot for people to, you know, not produce too much oxidative stress, inflammation, but still have some carbohydrates to support their metabolism. And once mm-hmm. they improve by eating good foods, reducing their inflammation, they can slowly increase the carbohydrates until they find a sweet spot for that. So you don't have to jump from one extreme to the other extreme because it does take time for your body to readapt from burning fat all the way to burning glucose. Like if you're healthy, that adaption can happen quickly. But if you're unhealthy, that adaption can take quite a while. Yeah. I've always thought in the back of my mind too, you know, that like I don't actually want to be the guy that's always has to do the extreme diet to lose fat or to get shredded. I want to be the guy at the gym, which we all know a guy like that, that he eats McDonald's or, you know, let's say he doesn't even eat whatever. Let's just say there. I know, I do know guys that eat lots of carbohydrates and they have lots of rice potatoes all kinds of stuff in their diet and they're shredded you know and discounting the guys that are on steroids which there are a lot of these days but i mean you know what i mean i've always thought like i want to be that guy that i eat tons of carbs and i stay lean and i don't gain too much fat and that has been hard for me you know before you know which is why i've always gravitated towards the vince geronda style of diet because i was like oh man i just if i eat too many carbs I just feel fat, you know? So you think that's, that's what's happening there with people. It's like the, the, the problem is that your body's having a hard time metabolically. That's most likely what's happening that um, if you break it down into simple biology, you know, you're, you're absorbing the carbohydrates, it's going to the liver, it's being stored as glycogen, it's going into the muscles, it's being oxidized as fuel. Then in that regard, it shouldn't cause any bloating. It shouldn't make you fat or cause problems. So it clearly shows that there is something uh, blocking some of those natural processes. And that's why you're reacting negatively to a certain food. Like uh, specifically water retention basically shows that you're getting an immune response, you're getting some sort of inflammation, and that's why you're suddenly retaining water. And the the, the first place that I look when that happens is the gut. Like, mm-hmm. Did you eat something funny? Most likely, yes, you did eat something funny. Or were you perhaps, perhaps stressed that day? Like stress can inhibit proper digestion. It can uh, create leaky gut if you're not having enough enough carbohydrates or uh, your blood sugar has dropped too low. Um, so there's a few things you can look at. Um, you know what is causing that um, that water retention or gut inflammation. But for me, it's most likely either stress or having gut inflammation. And for me, when I've started really focusing on minimizing the stress, maximizing my sleep quality. Um, making sure my blood sugar is staying optimal. So I'm eating non-gut irritating foods. I'm eating highly nutritious foods. Mm-hmm. And as my health is really improving, I can feel that I can go longer without food. So let's say you're trying the, the, the high-carb diet and you feel like it's not working. It's only been four weeks. 
like it's, I've been doing this for a month, it's not working. Now, it takes much longer than that. Like mm -hmm. If you want to recover or replenish a certain nutrient, it might take quite a few months for that to happen. It's not necessarily one nutrient that can be the problem. It can be multiple nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so uh, every stressor that you go through can cause some kind of epigenetic modification in your body. So your body has to reverse that changes. Like if that change is not reversed, you can maintain that um, suboptimal metabolic state, even though the stress is passed. So you want to make sure your body is in a state to handle the stress. And then you want to make sure your body is in such a healthy way that they can reverse those epigenetic changes. Like mm -hmm. in one of the most simple ways, things that you can do is to, to boost your NAD to NADH ratio. Your body can take that to reverse the epigenetic changes. But again, that takes time. And sometimes you have to do certain serious measures mm -hmm. to get that NADI enough or, you know, to kickstart those processes. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the common kind of, you know, problems that people say with the repeat diet is that a lot of people get fat very fast. And I think part of that is that a lot of people probably just read the articles and they're like, okay, I'm going to have three pints of Haagen-Dazs every day, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that's the problem. It's like, well, he's not saying that, right? Um, you know, although I, I, you know, I, I love the guy and a lot of his stuff, but you know, but sometimes, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know if everybody can handle three quarts of milk. That's a lot of milk, man. And three quarts of milk, I mean, you know, a lot of people will get fat on it, no matter what you say. Have you had that experience with people? Um, you know, I try to make sure I educate my clients or the people I talk to about calories. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're going to overeat on three <laughs> pints of ice cream or, you know, you're yeah. going to eat a lot of ice cream, you're going to get fat. Because that's a lot of fat, that's a lot of sugar, it's low protein. So you're not really stimulating the metabolic rate. Like, protein is the most thermogenic and the others are not really. Mm -hmm. So you are most likely not stimulating thermogenesis very well. And you're going to be storing a lot of that because first of all, you're also metabolically compromised. Mm -hmm. So you have to take in consideration your total calories that you're eating. Like as you improve your metabolism, yes, then you can eat more, but it's not going to be as much as people think it is. Mm -hmm. Let's say you, your metabolic rate in an extreme example is 1,500 to maintain your weight. And then as you increase your metabolism or at least restore it, you can get it back to 2,500. That's basically most people can maintain their weight at 2,500. Mm -hmm. And then if you are really metabolically gifted, so to speak, whatever that is, then you can maybe like 3,000, 4,000 calories. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really a misconception about a fast metabolism. A lot of people on the forums like, you, you want a fast metabolism, you want to eat 4,000 calories. Yeah. And for me, it's like, why do you want to eat that much food? Like, do you? Like, <laughs> Like, I don't want to eat yes. that much food. That's always been my thought, it's, too. It's like, I, you know, and I, I don't know, respect to those guys who, who are really doing the work and actually experimenting with it. But I, f I have a feeling that a lot of those guys just, again, they just read the stuff and they just like, oh, this is what you want to do. But it's like, have you tried that shit, man? Have you ever actually done it? And, you know, besides that, have you and five other people that you know done it like that? You know, I, I don't know. You know, I... Why would you want to eat 5,000 calories? It's a lot of food, right? And it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't understand that. Like, if you're active, I can understand, like, you know, if you're outside and you're working, yes, I understand you need more calories to sustain your metabolism. But if you're sedentary and you're doing a little bit of brain work during the day, you're not really requiring a lot of calories to maintain your health. If your thyroid's optimal, you're, you will be able to produce enough energy. You don't need to eat. 4,000 calories, but you know, let's say to be safe, 2,500 to 3,000 calories is a, is a good amount, but 
Mm-hmm. I'd say most people will slowly gain weight on 3,000 calories if they are sedentary. Mm-hmm. And so with your, you mentioned protein, like with your clients, you know, cause I, I think you work with a lot of guys that want to put on some muscle, right. And probably burn some fat. Um, so how about the protein, uh, suggestions, you know, because Ray's suggestions are typically like around a hundred grams, right? He doesn't over or kind of underdo the protein, which a hundred grams is, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's fair, right. For an average person. Um, so do you tend to raise that up a little bit? Do you follow the bodybuilding stuff, you know, like two, two to four grams, you know, per pound or whatever, or, um, how do you do it? Yeah. So I actually work with a lot of clients that also don't want to really, you know, change their physique or anything. They just oh, want okay. to lose fat. They don't really want to build muscle. Mm-hmm. So regardless if someone is training or not, I try to increase their protein, especially if they want to lose fat, because that's going to help them with satiety. That's going to increase their thermogenesis. Like animal protein or animal foods in general, it's just one of the best sources of micronutrients. I don't really rely on, on uh, vegetables for micronutrients. But the thing is, I feel that most people are indoctrinated that they should be eating vegetables. So if I just tell them, you don't need vegetables, you can just eat meat uh, and maybe a fruit and some milk, you should be fine. It's like, what about vegetables? Like, (laughs) you can have vegetables if you want. Like, I don't care. (laughs) It's so So, funny though, right? (laughs) I was talking about it with a client of mine. It's like, you know, it's like his girlfriend is like, uh, you know, vegetarian, kind of pescatarian. Um, But it's just funny to me, right? It's like, Hey, do you really enjoy roasted Brussels sprouts? If you do, my man, that's great. Go ahead and have your roasted Brussels sprouts. I can eat it, by the way. I, I'm one of those weird guys. Like, I don't really have a food I don't like. I love weird. I, I love beef liver. You know, I'm Russian, so we do eat a lot of that and growing up. So I don't, you know, I've eaten natto. I don't know. You know, I, I don't really have anything I don't like. Like, I, I find disgusting. So I'm kind of lucky in that regard. But... I would be an asshole if I were to tell you, like, oh, my God, I can't wait to have the arugula salad tonight. Like, you know, I don't care. You know, I'll eat it. I'll be fine. Like, I'm not going to complain about it. But like you said, yeah, a lot of people are so they have it in their head. Right. And part of it is the, you know, the culture. Part of it is the government. Part of it is the fitness industry that it's like you got to have your vegetables or if you don't, you'll just explode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so back to the protein, like, um, I try to increase protein, not just because I feel protein is necessary for fat loss or uh, the main reason I really do it is for micronutrients and to take care of the micronutrients. I just end up higher with protein. Let's say just 150, Mm -hmm. 150 is usually where I end up 120, 150. I don't always want to give people too much because that's also not something they used to. Like I grew up in a family where meat was kind of like exotic if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you you get your lamb chops but you can only have like one or two only at dinner because like i don't know what reason doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) i know what you mean so so i I feel most people are the same they they might have a little bit egg for breakfast and they might have a little like a chicken for lunch and then at at dinner they have their big meal and their red meat and So I feel a lot of it's indoctrination. So I don't want to give them, I have some red meat for lunch. You know, that would be the best for you. But so if someone is open-minded to doing that, like by all means, go ahead. But I want to take it slowly. Like, let's see how you react to that. I'm not going to give you something that you're not going to react well to. So I want you to experiment with, let's say I have six to eight ounces of meat per meal mm-hmm. and see how you feel. If you feel better, let's keep it at that. You know, if you, what, what your cravings like, let's try to learn what your body is telling you because a lot of people is ignoring what, what their cravings, what they're feeling and stuff. 
And then let's say they're craving something weird. It's like, oh, let's replace it with, you know, a more healthier alternative. You know, and you can just have whatever vegetables you want. But, okay, so that's just the normal clients that don't want to build muscle. So the, the clients that want to build muscle, I tell them, like, this is what the research shows. If you want to, if you're serious about building muscle, you know, just to be on the safe side, two grams per kilogram, one gram per pound. That's mm-hmm. what the research shows. Mm-hmm. Stick to that. And I, I like to stick to the higher end myself, like especially if you're trying to lose fat as well. You want to keep your protein in the higher end. Mm-hmm. And I don't force them to do anything. Like if you're not going to compre- um, do that, then, you know, it's not my body. I, you know, you and, and regardless, like there is so much inter-individual uh, variation that someone might actually build muscle on a lower protein diet yeah. that's optimal for him. Yep. And someone might require more depending on their craving. Like I had this one client, I would, uh, he was eating really high protein, like 300 plus grams of like 330 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. And I tried to bring it down to like 200, wow. which is still high on the high end. And then a few weeks, months later, he was like, this is my diet. And he was like back to 350. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know what? If you want to eat that much protein, go ahead. I, you know, yeah. you're probably craving it for some reason. Yeah, and talking about another indoctrinated thing, right? It's like in bodybuilding and, and fitness stuff. It's yeah, it's totally like eat a lot of protein, right? And it's protein is always kind of talked about. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I I felt fine on on a hundred grams. You know, and I like working out. You know, a couple times a week, heavy, like you know, pushing myself. I felt fine, you know. As granted that I've had my carbohydrates, though, you know. Now, if you don't have, you know, if you have a hundred grams carbohydrates and a hundred grams protein, then it's like, oh boy, yeah, that that gets tough there. So you got to have one or the other, at least a little bit more of it, right? Yeah, I think you're relatively safe if you are at least maintaining your weight or trying to gain some weight with carbohydrates. Then I think your protein can be on the lower side if your carbs are really high mm-hmm. to you know to preserve that muscle mass. Um, so I personally have never experimented with such low protein just because I've also been indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, <laughs> and, we all been. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I can't test my muscle mass like every month to see what's going on. Like I can't um, just readily do experiments on myself. Like, okay, I'm going to eat two grams per kilograms of protein for like nine months. And then I'm going to go to like hundred grams protein for the next nine months mm-hmm. and see with which one I do best. Like I can't do that. So I'm just going to be on the safe side with the protein, just go high. So let's say, for example, I'm drinking five liters of milk per day. That gives me about 170, 180 grams of protein um, or 150. I'm not sure, like 30. So like about 150, 160 yeah, grams there. of protein. Mm-hmm. And then I have additional meat or something just to keep it like to 180. I just want to make sure I'm getting like 180 because mm-hmm. I'm ripping. And so if I'm having a lot of milk, I'm almost by default having a good amount of protein as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, like like I mentioned, I'm not going to force myself to eat protein. Like if I'm going to cut my milk down to let's say two liters, mm-hmm. then I have to eat a lot of meat to make up for the protein. But I don't crave meat, so I'm not going to force my body and you know cram down protein that I don't crave. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah, I I have no problem eating, you know, if I had to stick to like a vegetarian diet where I could eat mix up. Sorry, I'm just waking up here. This LA time is too much. You're in South Africa, I'm in LA, you know, so I'm just trying to let people know. Um, If I had to just eat eggs and milk, I could do fine long term for that. I, I, you know, I do like my burger here and there, everyone, you know, but um, if I had to cut it out for a while, I could do it no problem. Although, you know, vice versa, like if I had to cut out milk and eggs, it would be tough. Yeah, it would be tough to just eat meat every day, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do a carnivore for sure. No. <laughs> so you never tried that out then, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. I only did the Vince diet keto. So that was basically a little bit of organ meat and just a bunch of eggs. That's what's my diet. Mm. It wasn't appealing at all, Yeah, but it worked. Avocado oil and coconut oil, stuff like that, basically? Uh, no, I did half and half. So I did a little bit of dairy and then a lot of cream with oh, a lot cream. of eggs. Oh, so you did it with cream. Oh, okay, okay. So it's just egg shakes all day long. <laughs> I don't know, man. I never went with keto because that just sounded awful. And whenever I have that much fat, I just have straight up diarrhea, you know? So I was just like, no. Carnivore <laughs> I did, you know, I could do. and But, oh, man, keto, I don't know how people, it's, it's tough. It, it was tough on me. So like the toughest people I think to work with are sometimes the kind of the skinny fat kind of guys. You know what I mean? The guys that are like, they don't have a hundred pounds of weight to lose or 50 pounds and they're not very skinny to where you can just give them, you know, gallon of milk a day and, and get them working out and they just start, you know, getting thicker and putting on muscle. It's those guys that are kind of in the middle, you know, they're kind of, they're not super skinny but they're not muscular and they want to put some weight on and, you know, and, and, and muscle weight and lose some fat. Um, so how, how, how do you approach those sort of guys? Do you just get up their protein? What do you do? Yeah, I basically start with the protein and then I mm -hmm. would basically re like um, I, I would try with a low fat first. Make mm -hmm. sure the carbohydrates are good because I want to manage your stress. If the stress is managed, they can basically start to lose some of those water retention if the stress hormones go down. So you want to keep someone in a low stress state. You want to improve their sleep and you want to lower their PUFA content and then they could start to hopefully increase their metabolism. You want to increase their calcium and so on. So it, it could be a little bit difficult because if someone doesn't like dairy, doesn't like this or that. So, you know, we're finding what works for each individual mm -hmm. is key. Like I had this one client that was eating like a lot of salmon per day and it was also supplementing like six to nine grams of fish oil. Oh man. And he was like, <laughs> doing i think it was like 1500 calories wow. he was doing cardio on a daily basis and he was doing weight training three days a week Poor and he dude. was not losing fat he was having a belly and i told him like I, I remember what pete spoke about like these he talked about people that were supplementing a lot of fish oil mm -hmm. and their metabolism was like 1500 they could maintain their weight on 1500 calories and I told this guy, like, you got to cut out your fish oils. You got to stop eating PUFAs. And he also had, like, um, depersonalization, derealization. Um, so I was trying to help him with that as well. And, you know, it he, he didn't want to stop what he was doing. It was, like, smoking weed, which uh, was also messing uh, with uh, most of his hormones and uh, hunger hormones up. and stuff. Speaking of deper depersonalization, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. I asked him. Like, are you smoking pot? Because he said he did smoke in the past and he never could have answered me back. So I was giving him supplements to help with depersonalization, mm -hmm. but he just couldn't kick that pot habit. Mm. Um, and anyway, so but basically he didn't want to stop the fish oils. He didn't want to stop his eating his fish. And honestly, I don't know what happened to him, but he couldn't make any progress with fat loss. So truly you have to cut out, cut out the polyunsaturated fats if you want to speed up your metabolism. It, it is going to slow down your metabolism. Um, but for those skinny guys, you also want to focus on uh, getting their androgens back up. You know, some of like DHT, lower their cortisol, and that will help with um, against the skinny fat. You know, like DHT is a dry steroid, so it can make you help look lean, more dry, vascular. Mm -hmm. So I want to shift that balance, higher DHT, lower cortisol. 
get the protein out, maybe start them slowly. Let's say do some walking, do something that's going to um, get you increase your body temperature. We also want to focus on increasing the body temperature. You don't necessarily have to exercise to lose fat, but let's look at your temperature. Let's look at your heart rate. Um, is that optimal? Most likely it's not optimal. And then you can benefit from improving thyroid function, maybe even supplement thyroid hormones. Mm-hmm. And that in itself will increase the metabolism. But most often guys that are skinny fat either have a lot of stored toxins, could be from cosmetics, plastics, or whatever the case may be, polyunsaturated fats. And they are um, stressing, they're not sleeping well. And it's something I wanted to mention, but I just forgot. <laughs> it was important. <laughs> Because the thing is like thyroid only speeds up your metabolism by like 200 to 300 calories. Right. Actually, it's like it's much less than people actually think. Huge, like if you look yeah, at some, yeah, so you're not going to go from 1,000 calories of more food immediately. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, often these guys, they say they're on a diet, they're strict. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is what I'm eating. But they're not, you know. Most often they're snacking on something. Maybe they're acting extra yeah. sauce. Yeah, that's a common extra one. Cheese. Well, there, there was one donut at the office. I just had one donut. People shared it with everybody. It was one fucking donut, Hans. Why are you getting on me about it? Yeah, I know. It's Then it's like, it's not about the, you're not trying to be their daddy, right? You're just trying to like get them to be honest about it and to pay attention to what they're doing. And, you know, it, it's, it's practice. It takes time. A lot of people, yeah, like you said, a lot of people just are on automatic mode, especially if they hate their job and they're not having a good time in life. I mean yeah man they just have blinders on you know what i mean it's just like and they're just (laughs) you know they're not noticing stuff like that like you said and yeah i've I've had similar experiences with you uh, as you have i wanted to ask you though about uh you brought up you know pot and deeper depersonalization and all that so what did you do what what sort of supplements did you recommend this guy for those sort of things uh i can't remember specifically um because the thing is he said he implemented them, but the communication with this guy was very, um, you know, you ask him a question, but he's like very vague. He's avoiding it. Yeah. So there wasn't proper communication going on. And then it was just a question about, are you smoking pot? He's not asking, he's not answering me. Yeah. Like anyway, three questions Hans, in a row. had a great workout. You're like, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I get it, man. It happens. <laughs> so there's yeah, and then, something specific yeah, I, that you I, remember for those sort of problems that people have, because that is kind of, kind of a common problem that I've read about people have, because, you know, I don't know what's the status of marijuana in uh, South Africa, but in LA and California, it's, you know, completely legal now. So a lot of people are picking up the pot here and smoking it. And, you know, so I, I, a lot of those issues are happening with people. Yeah. Um, Typically, I would say it's related to, obviously, there's a lot of, you can't isolate it to only one neurotransmitter or hormone. That's the issue. Like, there's obviously, most likely involves the glutamate system. Um, a lot of people that also have PSSD do have uh, depersonalization or some kind of anhedonia numbness. Then you get people that have used psychedelics mm-hmm. that get some uh, reminiscent symptoms of still being in some kind of uh, psychedelic state or they get uh, depersonalized after using psychedelics, which indicates that also most likely involves the glutamate system. Um, so honestly, I haven't really had a lot of clients with depersonalization yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's typical things that you can recommend, like CBD, but then most people don't really respond all too well to CBD, like they don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's upregulation of the of the NMDA receptor, like or at least using NMDA receptor agonists, like for example, glycine, uh, theanine, serene uh, sarcosine 
could potentiate glutamate and you can see how you feel on that. There's various herbs that you can use that uh, upregulate the dopaminergic system, let's say, for example, phenyl paracetam, mm -hmm. that can increase dopamine synthesis as well as upregulate the dopamine receptors. Uh, but the whole thing is, is it's difficult to isolate just one neurotransmitter and say, let's, let's upregulate this one. Of course. Um, but what I like to focus on is that but, um, I like to take a, a like a, a whole approach, like Pete likes to focus on the whole organism. Let's say you're getting odd flushes, <laughs> that's most likely hypothyroidism. So -hmm. let's fix the thyroid. You know? So if someone has some kind of brain disorder, most likely they will have um, defects in, like some of the parts of the brain will be hypoactive and some parts will be hyperactive. Mm -hmm. So if you can just basically restore proper energy metabolism in the brain, mm -hmm. that should be able to slow down or increase those brain areas. And I actually have this one client uh, that had exactly this hypoactivity and hyperactivity of certain brain regions. And since giving him uh, a few supplements like vitamin B1, um, the Pyroset from Idea Labs, and a few other supplements that upregulate energy production, mm -hmm. he is feeling a lot better. Those brain uh, activities is basically stabilizing. So, um, you know, you have to take a holistic or a, a whole approach to what is causing the issue. It's most likely the glucose oxidation is insufficient. So let's try to fix the energy metabolism mm -hmm. and then everything will start to work uh, better. And I, I try to take that approach on everything in the body. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not just the brain, it's also the intestine, it's the organs. That's why something like inosin, which upregulates ATP production and also the NAD to NADH ratio can improve organ functions, very organ protective. It can reduce leaky gut because it's increasing ATP and uh, yeah, upregulating NAD levels. Well, it's great. You know, it's it's not the answer that sometimes people want to hear, but that's the the real answer, right? It's like let's get, you know, let's look at the whole picture here and see what's going on. Because a lot of times, a lot of those issues will just fix themselves too, right? If you just kind of do a, a few little things all around instead of just focusing on, okay, let's just zoom in on this. You know, a lot of things tend to clear up. Um, you mentioned CBD though, so what are your thoughts? I I've experimented with it. Um, I, I don't know. I've had experiences where, yeah, I felt a little less joint pain. Um, the thing with CBD, though, <clears throat> that I found is that, one, all the studies are doing very, very big doses. Uh, like a lot of people will say, oh, just take 10 milligrams. And it's like if you read the studies, the studies are all like 1,000 milligrams and up. You know, So it's a huge doses of CBD, um, number one. And number two, that there are still trace amounts of THC in there. Um, if you're having like a real CBD dose, a full spectrum, what they call. Um, so people, you know, if people are getting drug tested, you know, they want to be careful of that because it might pop up. And I've had people tell me that they popped up just from taking some, you know, very expensive CBD oil. Um, but what has your experience been with CBD? I haven't used it personally. There's a lot of like isolate products. There's not really... Um, a full spectrum in like readily available unless you order it online but typically it's very expensive so yeah i just haven't thought like it's very effective like the main reason why people use it is to calm them against anxiety and also to help them sleep and for me it's like okay i have magnesium it basically does the same thing so i'm just gonna use magnesium. <laughs> you have a bunch of it's other a lot things. cheaper yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and like one of the concerns that i have specifically is that it uh and I don't know like, if it's going to be specifically in, in all humans or actually been shown in humans, but it can downregulate the 1A serotonin receptor, mm -hmm. which is not something that you necessarily want. But um, you know, with talking to other people, they've basically reported that they haven't noticed 
uh, any kind of like sexual side effects from using CBD. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's really much of a concern though. Yeah, I still think it's in its early stages. Although a lot of people in the, you know, biohacking and all those sort of worlds, they're just all about it. They're they're loving their CBD and um yeah, I, I don't I don't know, man. I, you know, they always bring up the cannabinoid system, right? They're always like, "Oh, everybody, did you know about this system?" And I I don't know, have you done much research on the cannabinoid system in the body and all that? Uh, not too much. I just know it's linked to the to the one A serotonin receptor. And it's basically involved in PSSD. So you know it is necessary for euphoria. That's why you know you smoke pot, you feel great. Mm-hmm. So it is necessary. But most of the CB one agonists downregulate the receptor, make you feel. That's why you build a tolerance towards weed. Mm-hmm. So if you rather use a, a compound that inhibit the breakdown of endocannabinoids, you can increase the agonists, the natural agonists for the CB one receptor without actually downregulating. That mm-hmm. receptor, so like P, um, PEA, that compound has been shown to uh, basically inhibit that enzyme. So uh, in terms of, I haven't really looked much into the endocannabinoid system. I'm more interested in things like the serotonin system. Although, you know, all of these things are so interlinked. I just feel that, let's say you use large doses of CBD. Why would you say CBD is better than just standard safe very beneficial magnesium. You can just use magnesium to basically get the same effect. Mm-hmm. So as you said, like CBD is in its early stages of research, whereas you know for sure that magnesium is not going to cause you any issues. Like unless some people with PSSD mm-hmm. might get additional numbness from using something like magnesium or, or zinc, because I think that it's specifically related to the glutamate system and it blocks the NMDA receptor. Yeah, or a loose stool. I've, I have gotten that when I've taken large amounts of uh, magnesium for a couple of days there. Yeah, you yeah. Know. But again, <laughs> that's that's not, you know, not like feeling, you know, losing your mind on taking too much, uh, you know, CBD or pot or smoking too much pot or whatever. So what, what kind of magnesium are you, are you into? Are you into like the sprays or do you, do you have a particular um, chelate that you like? Yeah, I specifically currently am using the magnesium glycinate mm. or biglycinate from Dr. Best. I feel that one is kind of like a really good one. Then there's also magnesium malate that's got really good absorption. Mm-hmm. I like the magnesium 308. So those basically would be my three favorite ones to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just one word on the cannabinoid system. Yeah. One um, compound that I'm interested in is the CBG. Mm. That has the potential to really be helpful for people with, you know, it boosts energy compared to CBD, which uh, makes you more calm. So I think like the CBG, CBD mix could be really helpful for keeping you calm, but not making you feel sedated. So that's one compound that I find very interesting because it also have like uh, anti-noradrenaline or stress response yeah. functions. It can also increase dopamine. So it has a lot of variety of different beneficial effects. Yeah, yeah. CBD is just one that they're kind of focusing on. I mean, people are not realizing that there's a lot of uh, other cannabinoids in, in marijuana and so, yeah, or cannabis. So, um, yeah, it's going to take time, I think, before people really see the full picture. So, I don't know. I, I tend to kind of not be the first one to experiment with random stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, agreed, man, agreed. And as far as magnesium goes, I mean, so do you take it regularly? Um, because you know, in the Ray Pete world, I don't think he's a big fan of supplementing too much magnesium, right? Because he thinks it's a thyroid kind of function that regulates that. Um, how do you go about it? I, I experimented. I've also used Magnoil mm-hmm. from Idea Labs, mm-hmm. specifically on um, my shoulder, which was hurting. On when I hurt my forearm, 
uh, I think it worked. Like I can't say I really felt much mental effects from Magnoil, mm-hmm. but I'm sure the absorption is good. I think I think I did feel some pain relief actions, um, but I've actually never really felt much from supplementing magnesium specifically. So I'm not an avid user of it, but I know it works very well against anxiety and depression. Um, but when I might, for example, have a, some kind of a stressor, I feel off. Mm-hmm. I might use my anti-serotonin stack, which is basically the sodium salicylate combined with magnesium and vitamin B1. So that very effectively blocks any kind of stress response mm-hmm. and gets you back to normal. So sometimes stress response can keep you in a low for a long time. And with that stack, I found like it brings you right back, like especially when you combine the sodium salicylate with the magnesium, because like sodium salicylate has been shown to enhance the retention of magnesium in the body like because it works in a similar function to thyroid. It enhances thyroid uptake in cells. Mm-hmm. So that's very neat. And I felt that uh, once you get that uncoupling effect from the sodium salicylate, you know, you always also start to feel better because once your temperature starts to drop, you might start to feel a little bit more depressed, a little bit more anxious. Once you get your temperature back up, you start to feel great again. So just a simple hack like the, the um, sodium salicylate combined with magnesium P1 restores energy metabolism, blocks the stress. That's mm-hmm. basically how I use it occasionally, very occasionally. Okay. And then as far as, you you know, you're, you're talking about temperatures and, you know, and people should read, uh, you know, who aren't familiar with that sort of stuff, they should definitely read Ray Peace's work. Um, but, you know, working with people, you're always trying to get their temperature up. Well, not always, but you know what I'm saying? If their temperatures are low, you're trying to get their temperatures up. Um, what sort of things, you know, you have found over time that do, do, do very good? I mean very well sorry <laughs> what things up bring the temperatures up that you found and what things don't don't work uh well sometimes you have to find um some of the most thermogenic compounds that i always reside to is protein mixed uh I, I, honestly i found that starches do work better than fruit for enhancing your temperature and, and that could be related to liquid Mm-hmm. Because liquids can have a more of a cooling effect. So I have not experimented with more of a starchy fruit like a banana or a papaya and a mango compared to apple or orange juice. I think there might also be differences between different kinds of fruits in terms of temperature. So yeah. in terms of heat, protein always on top combined with salt. That's almost guaranteed to make you feel hot. Combine that with some caffeine, uh, like an espresso with cream or just a normal coffee, a strong coffee with cream an extra boost, add in some aspirin, and you're going to be uncoupling like crazy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's a thermogenic combo that I use. But again, that's not a long-term solution. Oftentimes, you know, you have to find the root, what is inhibiting thyroid function from working normally. And again, it comes down to the gut. It most often is related to gut function. You're getting an immune response. Your body is forming uh, antibodies against the thyroid. The inflammation is stopping stopping the thyroid from working properly. So if you can calm the gut down, if you can stop the immune system from overreacting, you can slowly get your thyroid back to normal. So in the meantime, you can use things like make sure your protein intake is uh, sufficient, make sure your calcium intake is sufficient. That's also very important. Uh, balance the calcium with the phosphorus. Um, <clears throat> make sure you replenish your micronutrients. That's very important. But that takes a time. It takes a long time of eating foods that is not irritating your gut. So like you might be on an elimination diet, uh, eating very few foods that's not irritating your gut, and you might feel you're like, like you're making no progress, but after a few months, suddenly you start to feel better. It's like, okay, this is working. Like sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you go through that plateau and then suddenly you start to feel better. It takes time. Um, so that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned starches though, you know, because 
again, in the repeat world, starches is like, eh, you don't want to have too many of them. But yeah, you know, working with people and it, 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 a lot of people just really do crave starch and they do feel good after a good meal of potatoes and butter, you know, some sort of protein in there. Has, you know, so you've had that experiences with clients that just have fruits and they don't quite have the same effect where starches have a better effect on them, huh? Yeah, yeah. And that's always like, at first, like most often if someone is, uh, have low temperature, I would ask them if they would be okay with supplementing a thyroid. Let's say you would start with the NDT mm-hmm. or if you want to try like a more isolated, like only T43. If they're not okay, if they don't want to do that, they want to do something natural, you know, then we can do a different mechanism. So some people can tolerate thyroid, some people can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can use thyroid, you know, that can speed up the process. Um, so if someone can use thyroid, that can help to upregulate the temperature, then they might do better with a lower starch diet if they can upregulate the, th- the thyroid with thyroid, you know, the temperature. Mm-hmm. But if they don't want to use thyroid, and, you know, this is so person-specific, like some people do crave starches over food. It's just like, I guess, in their genetics where they grew up, it's just what they crave. So, and, you know, you shouldn't deprive someone of a food they crave if they don't get a negative reaction from it. Of course. Like, like even... <laughs> Even grains that is so highly yeah. problematic for most people could be therapeutic for some people. Totally, totally. So as far as thyroid supplementation goes, how do you go about that? So you mentioned NDT, so you know natural desiccated thyroid. Um, are you you supplement regularly? Are you a daily kind of thyroid person, or um, you just kind of do it in periods of stress? What's your way of taking? I it? I have. Uh, only recently really tried thyroid myself. Mm-hmm. I've always found like my, my, my heart rate, my temperature has always been optimal, except when I was going through a stressful period and there was like a lot of stress going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like I have relatively recovered my temperature quickly, but I've felt more that I remain sensitive to stress. That's been kind of like my problem. So I didn't really feel the need to supplement thyroid to up my temperature. That was always pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in, um, so lately I, we had some T3, uh, I mean, thyroid mix left. So I w- was thinking in terms of what Pete was talking about, some people sleep better when they take thyroid before bed. So like, you know, I'm going to try some thyroid sublingually mm-hmm. right before bed. And I definitely felt that initially it made me fall asleep faster and enhanced my, the depth, uh, the sleep quality. Mm. Uh, but for then it just kind of like, I would say I, I kind of like maintain those benefits even though I stopped. So I I, tr- I think I used that for about two weeks, mm-hmm. and then uh, I finished the container, so I had stopped, and uh, I didn't buy any new ones, and I just felt like my sleep is really good at the moment um, because I was um, added some ornithine and bone broth before bed, and I feel that I don't need any thyroid or any other sleep enhancement agent since no. I've been doing that. Yeah, some warm bone broth or some warm milk, it really does the job for a lot of people, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Initially, when I actually had sleep problems, I would take aspirin, and that really helped. Like, if you look at the research, aspirin seemed to uh, prevent proper sleep for, for people. Mm-hmm. It's not recommended before bed, but I've always found that it very reliably stops the stress response and allowed me to sleep through the night. So sometimes when I was still recovering metabolically, I would wake up with really, like, hot flushes. I was like mad i was like really angry mm. and then i would have some milk and sugar and take some aspirin i would like really calm down i feel my t- my temperature dropping again um not not in a bad way like in, in a way like i'm gonna go back to bed now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and i would sleep peacefully again so that's basically what i've used instead of thyroid i felt like 
that's been much more reliable for me. Uh, but in terms of my clients, you know, I would I would start them at the minimal dose. Let's start with one grain in the morning and see how you do. And mm. how how is that increasing your temperature? And for how long is it increasing your temperature? And then based on the response, we can increase the dose. We could add a second dose. We can increase. We can add a third dose. If the NDT is not working, we might try um, the isolated thyroid hormones, which has also ha- actually happened. Um, for some reason, but people just don't like absorb the thyroid hormones in the the NDT. Right. They do much better when supplementing the isolated thyroid hormones. And uh, sometimes, you know, if people, if someone is in really bad, stressful situation, they might benefit from T um, three monotherapy. So it's very individual. On I, I try to start really minimalistic, mm-hmm. and then uh, modify the treatment based on. Like uh, treatment sounds bad, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know the protocol. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you got to take. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people just jump right in, and yeah, I'm all about taking the smallest possible dose, maybe even half of that smallest possible dose. You know. Um, yeah. So you haven't messed around with uh, the Mexican supplements that are so popular in the repeat world, right? Like Sinoplus and Sinomel and all those. No, like uh, because we're in South Africa, like I don't want to. I don't even know if they can ship to yeah, South Africa, and, and plus, I don't know one if year probably before they get there. So yeah, yeah. So I just feel like you know you can get it from Idea Labs. It's really good quality. I know what I'm getting, so I'm just gonna support the man. Yeah, shout out to George Dinkoff. He's been on the podcast. He's a great guy. <laughs> and you, um, you also brought up serotonin a little while back. Um, you know, which is again a huge topic, and there's a lot to say about it. And you have a great article about it. Um, and how long ago did you write that article? I have a few. I'm not sure which one you're. Oh, to. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was top maybe sixty ways to lower serotonin. Yeah, that was basically. Whew, that was uh, years ago, 2018, 17. Yeah, it was a while ago. Cool, cool. So, well, you know, that's what I was going to ask you. So now, a few years later. I mean, if you had to narrow it down to a few real big ones that are, you know, turn big rocks over to do that, what would they be? Um, basically, my anti-serotonin stack that I've recently wrote about, which is the combination of aspirin, magnesium, and vitamin B1, mm-hmm. I feel that um, instead of targeting the serotonin system directly, let's just target what is universally wrong with the person. Like... Uh, serotonin is dysregulated for a reason. And if serotonin is dysregulated, then so are almost every other neurotransmitter in your brain. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you can restore cellular function in the brain with paracetam, and you can restore energy metabolism with, uh, let's say, ethylpyruvate, then you can help to rebalance all your neurotransmitters. So let's say, for example, your cell is in an unhealthy state, it's not properly energized, mm-hmm. the cell is too fluid, or too rigid, or whatever the case may be, then you take some paracetam and it kind of like stabilizes the cell, it improves the cellular function. And once the cell is in an optimal state, it can respond to a neurotransmitter in a proper way. So let's say a cell becomes dysfunctional, I can guarantee you that cell will respond differently to the same neurotransmitter than when it's in a hyperexcited state or, or in a normal state. Okay. So just by modifying the cellular function mm-hmm. or state, you can modify how a neurotransmitter is reacting to that cell. So that's basically uh, paracetam helps a lot with that. And then just once you have improved the cellular environment, you can increase glucose oxidation. And that will regulate in itself the synthesis of many neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to specifically focus on. So, so my approach is let's restore energy metabolism. 
first, and then let's see how you improve, and then when you stall. And if you stall, let's look at your symptoms, and then we can address that specifically. So I wouldn't say I'm always directly addressing serotonin or directly addressing dopamine, although I do recommend dopaminergics a lot. Um, and obviously, something like saproheptidine can be life-saving for people that are in a very bad state, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't necessarily jump right onto those supplements. I would rather say let's let's stop the inflammation, let's stop the gut irritation, let's stop let's stop this whole stress response that is on a the snowball effect. If we mm -hmm. can stop this, like Peter's actually spoken about, you can take one dose of progesterone just to stop that stress response. Mm -hmm. And then your body has the opportunity to recover. So that's my approach. Let's just stop the stress response and see what happens. And mm -hmm. if there's anything really needed after that, let's take some specific measurements for that. So perhaps start with a diet first, right? Because that's just going <laughs> exactly. to Which is, you know, yeah, yeah it's going to irritate your gut. So take out some of the things. So what, what are the most common things that people have problems with? You know, I mean, is it though the grains thing? Is it the starches you think? Or is it just... Pufa, obviously, people just eating a lot of crap. I mean, what are the most, you know, people, how about for people who are sort of in the loop, you know, they've been trying to get their health back together and they're kind of, you know, read some biohacking blogs and read your blog and maybe seen a thing or two. And, you know, what are the most common things that you find that, you know, you tell people to take out? Like one thing, like I said, for, for me, definitely still. It is the breads, the gluten, the kind of all those, you know, everybody focuses on gluten, but there's other things in there like blight and et cetera. But, you know, those sort of things do seem to make people just their guts calm down and relax like really fast more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Like I like to start someone. There's a variety of different ways that you can, uh, you know, uh, try to pinpoint which food is problematic for you. But the problem I find is that people like to have a, a – um, various foods in their diet like they like each dinner to be different yeah so you know it's very difficult to pinpoint which food is gut irritating oh, that's so because true it's so true so many people are so i can't eat the same thing every day and it's like jesus just give me five days you know try it out right yeah it, it's funny yeah. some people are just yeah they can't have the same thing every day i had a girlfriend like that one that was like literally she can't eat the same food not even the same food for breakfast lunch or dinner it all has to be different every day and it was just like jesus <laughs> Sorry, yeah, there, bro. so yeah, man. So, what do you do? Uh, what do you do with people like that? So, I, you know, Pete likes the approach where you eliminate one food group for a week, and then if you improve, then you eliminate that food permanently. But if you don't improve, you know, you can add that food back. It's uh, most likely not irritating your gut. But I feel that let's, uh, um, you know, I like to be extreme. I like to let's eliminate all foods, calm the immune system completely, and then we can reintroduce foods and see which one you react negatively to. So um, it's most likely going to be grains is uh, a problem, but people really are addicted to bread. So, you know, if they want to have some bread, let's, let's have some sourdough. That's kind of like the, the safest uh, bread you can have, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the sensitivity of the person. Then I also make them aware of the FODMAP, high FODMAP foods. So it can be something simple like an apple, a pear, you know, asparagus, artichoke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it's not just specifically a FODMAP, but it could be any fiber in general, which could be like if your intestine is not in a healthy state, then any fiber could be an issue. Like, yes, obviously some fiber might be like, let's say a carrot or a, or a, a mushroom mm -hmm. or a bamboo shoot. 
could be beneficial. It could help you. Like I found that desiccated coconut actually helped to speed up my intestine. But I w- um, so, so, so therapeutically or short term, that can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so uh, back to foods. Like I would say, um, let's say beans, legumes is also a problematic one. <laughs> like even since I uh, yeah. sorted out all my gut issues, I would uh, actually the other day I wanted to have some legumes. And immediately it kind of like irritated my gut. I got some bloating. I got some loose stools going on. And once I cut it out, cleared up. Yeah, man. The same thing. I mean, I love me. I live in LA. You know, there's a lot of Mexican food here, and I love Mexican food. But yeah, it's true. The same, like some refried beans. You know, the, the also the other big problem with those sort of legumes, though, like if you buy them at a restaurant or you know a stand, a taco stand or whatever, they're always fried in awful vegetable oils. You know, so you always do better if you can cook them at home but even cooking them at home man me too like i'll eat them and i just feel like i just ate a baby you know like i have like i'm a pregnant <laughs> and i just feel like ugh, you know and yeah man those like i, I like the taste it's funny though right like because it sounds like you do too right you, you like the taste of some some good uh some beans yeah man yeah it's funny like some re- sometimes i was just like man i want some like legume soup <laughs> i want some lentil soup like craving so i don't know why um but then i have like like one meal, I think one meal, and I'm like, okay, I'm over it. And then I have some loose stool. And then, so that's basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another approach is that the, the reason I like to be uh, extreme is that you eliminate all the problematic foods. You completely calm down the inflammation. Mm-hmm. You get perfect bowel movements. You, you get ghost wipes. You get, you know, two to three bowel movements a day. That's basically the, the baseline that you want to be at. And from that baseline, you can much better analyze which food is going to cause you an issue. Mm-hmm. Because if your bowel health is not in an optimal state, you are going to have some trouble identifying which food is going to be gut irritating. And even though some people think like, oh, my bowel movements are okay, mm-hmm. once I eliminate some foods, like, okay, wow, I'm surprised like how good my bowel movements actually are now. Mm-hmm. And my bowels were actually not as good as I thought they were. So even if you think it's good, it cannot be good. And let's say someone um, routinely gets a bowel movement every morning. They think like, my transit time is fast. But then you swallow some uh, activated charcoal mm-hmm. and it comes out five days later. Like, no, you do not have a good transit <laughs> time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you, then you know that there's something that's irritating. And that's basically what happened with, with, uh, um, with potatoes for me is that it, um, you know, Potatoes, like I was eating like 1.5 kilograms of potatoes. So that was giving me a fair amount of fiber, like 40, Mm -hmm. I think 50 grams of fiber, which is a good amount. And some people would think like, oh, your gut should be in a really good place with all that fiber. But uh, once I eliminated like the potatoes and the fiber, I did a zero fiber, zero starch experiment. Mm -hmm. And I started getting two bowel movements a day and it was much better. So actually my transit time sped up Mm -hmm. when I eliminated fiber and was having just dairy and fruit. And uh, that just shows like you don't need fiber for optimal transit time. It's actually been backed up by science as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it seems to be the latest the thing, though. I mean, people are still another thing to talk about indoctrination. Another thing where people are so like, you need more fiber. You need more fiber. I mean, some of the lower carb kind of doctors, you know, um, they recommend having like you know like fifty to hundred grams of fiber a day, which is you know crazy. I think it's that's. Fucking so crazy. Sorry, I'm just going to say, you know, it's fucking crazy. I mean, that's so much fiber. And yeah, my experience with clients has been also where you give them 
to that amount of huge fiber, they actually start feeling more constipated or they're just, or they have, you know, what people call the runs or whatever, you know, they're just always running to the bathroom and not in a good way. You know, it's not like a pleasurable, like, Oh, I'm going to go take a shit, you know? So yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And also like I had this one client that he was eating salads, which is thought to be healthy. And I I was telling him like, okay, you know, if your, if your gut is not in a healthy place, most of that fiber or, or some of those food will be undigested. It will, you know, Undigested food is not a good thing. So that's going to reach your colon. The bacteria is going to ferment. You're not going to start to feel bad. Mm-hmm. So then he eliminated the salad. And then a few days later, he was like, man, you were right. I'm feeling a lot better just from just cutting out a salad, which is supposed to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so much other things that you can look into. For example, um, why is a certain food causing issues for some people? Like, are you having protein with starches? Just by having mono meals, you're only having starches, could solve your problem. Just by having meat alone can solve your problem. So let's say you're not specifically eating a gut irritating food, but the combination of various foods could be an issue for you because you need more stomach acid to digest the meat mm-hmm. and the starches can be digested at you know at a less less acidic yeah. Um, yeah. pH. So it's probably a tell also of just not not optimal gut health, right? If like if they eat any combination of food, you know, because there's a lot of those people, yeah, they just eat a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they just, oh, I'm bloated. Like, you know, it's probably, you know, it's not only that the food is maybe not optimal for you. It seems like, you know, your gut health is not in a good place right now. Because to me, you know, again, to me, it's like, if you're in a, if you're doing well, everything's feeling good, you'll eat, you know, you'll eat some beans and you'll be maybe a little bloated, but it'll go through you. Boom. You're on to the next thing. You're feeling better, you know, kind of, that's where I'm always trying to get to where it's like, you know, Yes, you want to eat great foods and optimal foods, but if you have a little, you know, pizza here and there, like you're not ruined by it for two to three days, right? Like a lot of people are, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I found that, you know, people are afraid of elimination diets because, you know, they think they're never going to be able to eat the food that they love. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that the, the the better I've taken care of my gut, the less I'm affected by these problematic foods. So initially, you might eat a pizza and your bowels might be... Uh, chaotic for about three to four days Mm -hmm. but now um, when i have like something different let's say i have eaten lentils and i have some loose stool you know the next afternoon i'm back to normal i'm having no issues at all so your recovery is so much faster it's not affecting you as badly at all yeah it's important it's important to get back to it so um and you know well let's talk about training a little bit again um so you know what's your training like then do you you know how many times a week do you train? What What are your basic thoughts and just, you know, overall fitness kind of lifestyle? Lots yeah. of, I'm guessing lots of cardio and fasting, right? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, don't, don't forget that intermittent fasting. <laughs> Awful stuff. I, I was actually looking at some photos, me and my wife, the other day, and I have a photo where I was doing – I tried the, the warrior diet. You know, that's like basically one meal. Yeah, then, of course. Yeah. You, do you know who Kyle Mamunis is? I don't know if you know. He's kind of a... I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. He might have been a prolific poster on Ray Pete's forum. But um, yeah, him and I did did a, a whole podcast just on that book, actually, because him and I both have tried it and we've, we've talked a lot about <laughs> it. So yeah. So I know about it. <laughs> yeah. So so I was doing it and I was trying to cut. So that was kind of like my also a big mistake because I was reducing calories. I was doing a huge fast. I was doing faster training. Um, so that was a mistake. So um, I think it was about after, let's say, four weeks, I was looking like lean. I was looking good. I was looking muscular. And then here by the third month, I was looking flat. I was losing muscle. I was losing strength. I was plateauing like crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that was just a disaster. 
So that was just a fun story. <laughs> anyway. Been there and done that, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and I was so bloated, but I was like having this ginormous meal, like post-training, and he was so hungry and low energy. It was just yeah, terrible. you know, it's it's like at the end of the day, again, too, you know, you could have the best diet and, and your body will adjust to it and you can have the worst diet and your body might adjust to it, too, and you might be okay, you know, and I think the way best way to look at it is that overall long-term picture, you know, because, yeah, I do know some people that they'll have a glass of milk in the morning with some coffee and they won't eat anything and they'll have that giant ass meal in the, in the evening and they look good, you know, and they, and they, they're fine, you know, but to me, it's like, I don't know. Do you really want to like not eat? Is it like that important? You know, if you feel better about yourself, that's great. But I, I don't know. Like I want to be able to wake up and, you know, go have breakfast with my girlfriend, like no problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be this. No, no, no. I'm the warrior diet. I don't want to eat until I can't <laughs> eat until 6 p.m. today because I'm a warrior, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. Your body will adjust, you know, but but a lot of people also don't do don't do well on, on those sort of diets either. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's like if it's not working, it's not working. And if it is, sure. But, you know, you got to look at the whole picture. So sorry, brother. So, uh, I agree. yeah. So when you were doing the warrior diet, what, what's your training look like in those days? Yeesh, I was doing, I, I was doing a reverse pyramid, <laughs> a reverse pyramid training, which is a good style of periodization. Uh-huh. And then I was doing a more like a high volume, shorter rest style, secondary exercise or two after that so i was i think i was doing like a bro split at the time okay um and so like actually and back, back then i started buys and tries legs kind of thing like that you just rotate three days or what no bro splits basically chest back shoulders you know you do it one muscle group oh, per day okay all right all right so that was basically like the program i started with michael hearn was like a bro split and i, I kind of liked it but uh, my training's just completely changed so back then, I actually started incorporating some calisthenics like muscle squats, handstand, shoulder press, one-on push-ups, and those kind of stuff because I always wanted to be, you know, functional in both my body weight and with weights. I, I thought, like, I want to be a strength athlete, but I want to be, you know, if, if you look at guys that do calisthenics, they mm-hmm. can't lift a lot of weight. And you look at weightlifters, they're not good at calisthenics, and I wanted to be both. Yep. Um, so I always wanted to incorporate those two. So currently, that's basically what my training is all about. I am like I think a major misconception is that people think you can't build a lot of muscle with calisthenics, but you know, have someone draw, try a front lever or a back <laughs> lever, they're not going to be able to do it. Just look at gymnasts, and and you know, yes, they are genetically elite usually, but even the amateur ones, they have quite a bit of muscle. It's just about progressing the complexity. You know, it's of course, if doing a hundred pull-ups for you, because you know, at first a hundred pull-ups is a lot, but eventually. 100 pull-ups is kind of like, okay, I can do it. Like, you know, th- that's not a crazy workout. And so from there, naturally, people just think, okay, I should do 150, 200, 300. Yes, you could do that, and that's one way to progress it. But you could also, like you said, go from pull-ups to doing a front lever, right? And that's a much more complicated exercise, which is also for the back, but it's uh, involves a lot more complexity, and so your muscle fibers are getting hit in a new way, and yada, yada, yada. So yeah, it, it's a very uh, compound movement it involves all body, and I think a major thing that people overlook is like it doesn't look like a normal exercise that you do for back, but if you look at it, the the, the function of the lat is basically to pull your arm down. Right. That's what you're doing with the front lever. You're engaging the whole lat. It's exactly. one of the best lat exercises that you can exactly. basically do. Exactly. 
Yeah, man. Which um, is funny because it's people always when people see the front lever, they always think it's a it's a, a core exercise, and it's like <laughs> it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent back. It, it's not even you know nobody has a problem holding their legs straight. You know what I'm saying? It's it's more the lats that give out. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, of front levers and back levers and all those sort of things. So who got you into calisthenics? Did you start up looking up like Hannibal for King, or do you remember those sort of guys? I don't know if you did. <laughs> Funny enough, yeah, I yeah, did, like, ah, there was... we go. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the thing is, like, I feel that calisthenics in itself is inadequate. That's why um, you mentioned, like, you get a gymnast, he's gonna do 300 pull-ups. That's not the best way to go about hypertrophy. You have to add weight to make an exercise more difficult. So either you're going to do a front lever or you're going to add weight around your waist to do chin-ups. You have to overload the movement to get hypertrophy. Yeah. So I'm basically combining calisthenics and weight training and where I cannot do, like let's say I do push-ups. I don't do, I don't do bench press. I do push-ups on rings mm-hmm. and then I add a resistance band around my back as well. So that gives me a variable resistance uh, to overload the top side of the movement as well. Mm-hmm. And then I put a weight belt around my back and hang some weights down. Mm-hmm. So that way I can... So you have a lot of um, complexity going on and you have some intensity uh, going on there because you have a lot of weight and you have the 360 you know, instability of the rings. So you have a lot of stuff happening there. So that's a tough movement. Exactly. Yeah, and... Like, you know, anyone can do a push-up. Like, if I do a push-up with, on the floor, I can bang out, like, 50 reps or more. Like, but if you do it on rings, you're going to get, like, 10 or 15. It's a lot more complex. So I feel, you know, uh, with an unstable um, environment, like, on the rings, mm-hmm. you have more uh, muscle requ- um, recruitments going on. So you get better strength overall and less possibility of getting an injury. And you're just getting stronger overall on an on a, on a, uh, unstable environment. You're releasing more hormones when you're doing the exercise. So I try to limit myself to 10 reps only. And when I can do more than that, I try to add more weight or make the exercise more complicated. So with a front lever, that's basically easy. You know, you start with the top front lever. Then you go to the advanced stock, the super advanced stock, to the full, to the full front lever. So it's easy to overload the movement without adding weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to chest, you have to be clear what you're going to do. It's like I love to do the wide grip chest dips on the rings. And I also use the resistance band, overload the top side, and then I hang a weight around the midsection to overload as well. Because, you know, uh, soon you are going to get strong enough on the rings that your body weight is not going to be a challenge anymore. And even if you're going to use a resistance band, you know, you're still underloading the, the weak side of the muscle. Like at the bottom of the dip, that's where you're the weakest. Mm-hmm. So you can only use weight uh, to match your weak point. So with a resistance band, you are um, overloading your strong point as well. Like in the top of the dip, you're not being challenged by the weight that you're using unless you're using a resistance band. Right, right, right. So add the weight around the midsection, add the resistance band at the unstable um, environment that you're training in mm-hmm. and you're getting a phenomenal stimulation on the muscle. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of evolved to, you know, using weights and calisthenics, yeah? And then uh, as far as leg training, do you do back squats, uh, you know, pistol squats? I I, <laughs> I do mostly Bulgarian split squats and front squats. Okay. Those are basically my favorite. Um, and I also try to use the resistance band because, again, your strongest adopts the movement. The weight is not overloading overloading the strong point of the muscle. Mm-hmm. Pretty, you know, but just those like four movements that we just covered, it's like they, they can build a lot of muscle for a person, right? And you can progress them 
almost you know infinitely right you can just keep going with the same thing just put a heavier weight on put a heavier band on or raise your legs up a little higher a little lower so on and so forth yeah exactly i i try to hit all muscle groups so i'm currently doing a full body split mm-hmm. three days a week where i am doing a chest i'm doing back i'm doing shoulders and then i'm hitting my arms and then i'm doing legs calves and i'm doing some bike pulses as well to progress into the the v-set i can currently I'm doing it the L set, but I want to go to the V set. So oh, I'm, big uh, boy! You want to do the real thing, Adam boy? Nice man. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's so. Cool. I just feel like like weight training is just like this this parasite in the minds of people, <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's been a parasite in my mind as well because uh, if you ask someone, do you want to be strong in a push up, doing it on rings? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to strong at the bench? Like, why do you want to be strong at the bench and not the rings? Because you can measure it with other people. It's egotistical. Yeah, it's like, just a even big though, measuring contest, as I call it. Yeah, exactly. that, that's all that it like, is. Yeah. So, so, so what if I tell you that if you do it on rings the way I do it, is superior to the way you do it in the gym? Mm-hmm. Well, you'll be interested because it is superior. And a lot yeah. of guys would basically say no, because I can't measure my progress to the progress of the standard bodybuilders out there. Yes, yes. So that's why I feel like people are stuck with this idea that there is only one way to build muscle. Yeah. And there are actually superior ways that you can build muscle, but you know, you can't measure it to other people. It doesn't look because, as cool. Yeah, because you can't say like I bench two twenty five for eight or whatever the fuck it is, you know. And it's like although exactly. I, I've had experiences, you know, where you take a um, like a bodybuilder, a guy who's never been on rings and can bench press a lot. I've had I've done that multiple times to guys, and I'll say, "Let's do some ring dips," and they're like, "Yeah, I'll do dips all the time." And then they get on <laughs> rings and they start shaking, you know, like a little, little chihuahua kind of quivering, you know what I mean? And they just can't. They, they, and they're like, "But it's awesome though," because I'm not trying to make them feel bad. But it's I've had many times where guys were like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna start using these because it's like, wow, I didn't know that I was so fucking weak, you know, that in reality they just built up the strength to just move from point A to point B, but." If it, when it comes to moving their body around an anchor point, it's a complete different um, you know game. And the funny thing is that I don't know if you ever been in the forest, but I've never seen any any uh, you know anybody laying on their back and just picking up a rock off the floor. No, you're always doing it in a different sort of environment. You know, so it's kind of a you know if you really think about it, it's kind of a useless exercise. It's I don't know if it's useless, but I definitely think the bench press is so overrated. I mean. You know, I think it's probably it might be the most overrated exercise in the gym. You know what I'm saying? Just a traditional, just you know, up eight, point A to point B. But you know, powerlifters do it. And people Dude. look cool, so you know that's why people. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's so unnatural. Your your shoulders are totally back. Your back is arched. You're locked in this position. In what way is this normal? It's not normal. Yeah. Like what is normal is a push up. That's the way you get up from the floor. You do a push up. Yeah. Your your scapulas are more neutral, and everything is just like the way it should be so if you can strengthen that exercise mm-hmm. it's vastly superior than doing a bench press yeah if you do love moving weight i mean i do think that the overhead press is much more superior to uh the bench press you know and much more functional type of thing because again you're just taking a weight and you're moving it over your head and that's very important because you can't do that unless like if your core is not in order you know what i'm saying if you have a very weak midsection if you have bad shoulder mobility if your back is all fucked up and weak you're just not going to be able to put up a lot of weight over your head you know and and if you have all those things in order that's where you see the difference between people it's not even so much 
just deltoid and tricep strength. It's more so that they have their whole and, and body kind of integrated. And when they go up uh, to pressing over their head, they're strong, you know, and people who don't have those things happening are very weak in that exercise. Yeah, exactly. That's like that. There was a study comparing like those kind of compound movements, like squat, uh, deadlift, and this overhead pressing with either like a military press or doing it with one arm, and comparing that to isolation core exercises, and found that like the core development of those guys that were doing the compound movements was way better than the guys that were doing the isolation movements. So, if you're doing like compound movements like the military press, why would you even consider doing isolation movements for the abs? Like I don't get it. Yeah. Like even if you if you're doing calisthenics, if you're doing a front lever, you don't have to isolate training your abs. Your mm -hmm. abs is getting like all the stimulus that it needs. Yeah, they're getting worked, you know. Although it's still a back exercise, <laughs> but you're getting yeah, worked. It's, it's getting yeah. worked. It's getting worked. But hey, I mean, just the classic. I mean, the best if, if there's one to choose for the abs, it's just hanging leg raises you know can you hang from a bar and reach your legs up to the bar you know and you'd be surprised a lot of people that have that are strong and you know they just can't do it they can only go about 90 degrees up and they have to swing back down and that's just a classic great movement that all gymnasts do and you don't need a lot of it you know three sets of 10 and you're good to go there's your ab workout for the day that's plenty you know and it'll make you strong too and it'll also help your support your front lever a little bit because you're still getting a little bit of that stability from you know hanging over the bar yeah, I guess I guess what's influencing my core training the most is basically that I hate training abs. <laughs> I just hate it. <laughs> don't, we, don't we all? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that, brother. <laughs> oh, that's funny, yeah. man. I do it, you know, but I'm with you. It's boring, right? And it's not fun. It's not. It's not as fun as, like you said, doing a dip and feeling yourself, you know, fucking hanging on the rings and stabilizing your body. It's just like, all right, let's do some sit-ups. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, but, but if you do want to lean yeah. out, I mean, what's your, how do you go about it? Like, let's say you got a, let's say I tell you, Hans, you got a competition in, in three months, you know, bodybuilding competition. I don't know if you've ever done one, but I just mean that, and you want to lean out, how would you go about it? Do you just simply just cut your calories down and, you know, what's your, what's your like step one, you know, what was the first thing you do? Yeah, I would uh, drop my calories. I think that's the first thing I do. I would keep training mostly the same. I would make sure I'm still lifting heavy because that's the best way you're going to maintain your muscle mass. Mm -hmm. um, and just keep my protein high, uh, cut the calories. I wouldn't necessarily add additional cardio. Like um, I, I wouldn't go train cardio. What I would do is I would rather go for a walk on the beach. I would uh, swim in the ocean because that way you're active, but you're not overexerting yourself. And um, like you're taking away, if you're overexerting yourself, you're taking away from your metabolism. Mm -hmm. But if you're having fun and you're exerting energy that way, you are giving to your metabolism instead of taking away. So there's yeah. a difference between hating the cardio that you do versus really enjoying the cardio that you do. So I wouldn't uh, be specifically going to do cardio. I would rather cut my calories first, try to uh, you know uh, minimize stress as best as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of uh, having abs for a competition, like maybe it's just me specifically, but I've always done squats, deadlifts, chins, overhead presses, and I've always had great um, ab development. I've never had to do specific core training. Mm -hmm. And since doing calisthenics, my ab development is just like like intensified, like in crazy. Well, like with the um, your serratus and everything, like the the obliques like all the development because you are using your whole core when you do you're doing calisthenics and it's not easy it's definitely a difficult way of training your core mm -hmm. and uh but it hits those so, uh, they call them uh what do they call them dick 
gutters, dick gutters, you know, <laughs> those little gutters that bury your dick. <laughs> but anyway, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it, it definitely gets, uh, you know, I mean, hey, after a good, for me, it's front squats. After a good front squat workout, you know, not even going crazy heavy, but just really pushing myself, my abs are smoked the next day. I always feel it in my back, in my uh, midsection a lot, you know, like after front, even sometimes back squat, you know what I'm saying? Because your body, again, has to be in order to keep your body upright if you're squatting correctly. If you're not squatting like a 350-pound powerlifter whale kind of guy, you know, like bent, bent over, you know, I'm talking about like a real good quality Olympic squat. Uh, no offense to, to the powerlifters out there, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should add, like, the, another thing with traditional training is that I feel, like, since I've switched to the way I'm, that I'm currently training, which is only, like, uh, three days a week, mm-hmm. I feel that I've really boosted my metabolism where I'm eating the same amount of calories, but I am dropping weight, or specifically fat, I'm leaning out, like, at a surprisingly fast rate, mm. whereas with traditional training where you're doing 45 to 60 minutes in the gym, I feel like that is not adding to your metabolism. It's actually mm. subtracting. You, you You need a lot of nutrients to recover, um, recover. You have a lot more of muscle damage going on. So you have more intracellular cortisol. You might have a little bit more water retention depending on the health of the individual, of course. Mm-hmm. So since switching to this style of training, your recovery is just so much better. And the way that I'm doing my workout, I'm getting crazy hormonal releases. And that is adding to my metabolism instead of subtracting. So I'm doing less, but I'm getting much better results in the process. I'm just really feeling like I've, I've um, this, the style of training is increasing the metabolism, whereas with traditional weight training, it's maintaining the metabolism and even subtract, subtracting from the metabolism. Yeah, and why not, right? Why not do less and get more out of it? I mean, it's just, you know, it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? It's just because, yeah, a lot of people do have it in their head that it's like you got to go every fucking day, six six days a week, you got to kill yourself. And it really doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't have to be too complicated. Yeah, exactly. You just have to go in. You have to stimulate the muscle sufficiently mm-hmm. without causing too much damage. You just have to stimulate that muscle protein synthesis mm-hmm. process, get out of the gym, let the recovery take place, and you will grow all the muscle you need. Yeah, so are you a fan of, uh, like, you know, sports nutrition kind of recovery stuff of, like, you know, having a whey protein shake or a casein shake or whatever, or do you just kind of still follow your, you know, general nutrition principles around your training? I just do one liter of milk. So that gives me 30 grams of protein, which have been shown to sufficiently stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. And since milk is a combination between whey and casein, I will have a sustained release of amino acids into my bloodstream. So I always have a pre-workout and a post-workout. So I am basically always saturated with essential amino acids to stimulate muscle hypertrophy. Mm. And then I'm basically always sipping on milk during the day. So I'm, I'm really having essential amino acids in my blood all day long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going through these cycles. I'm just like, this might sound like a bad thing for most people. Like if you're having food every hour, how can you be lean? You know, when, when do you burn fat? But I can easily go quite a couple of hours without food. If we go to the beach, you know, I'm never mm. hungry. I don't get tired. I can go hours without food, but I just like to continue to just sip on milk, saturate my system. And there's obviously some foods that are have been shown to boost recovery, boost your muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. Things like bone broth or gelatin specifically. Eggs are great for that purpose. Milk as well. Um, uh, even cacao, but you know, maybe not as much. Like it's, that specific compound is uh, the epi catechin or something called like that mm-hmm. have been shown to increase folistatin 
Yeah. So that will help you I've to. Mixed, yeah, I've seen you make studies with, with cacao. I, I've mixed, I don't know. I, I never, you know, I just, like you said, I just kind of go, if you like it, okay, just don't go crazy with it. I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody people, anybody does crazy amounts of it yet. I haven't seen it yet, but maybe, maybe there's a biohacker out there doing it. So you just keep <laughs> it simple, huh? You just, you don't, and it's so much cheaper, right? Like instead of buying these super, Super expensive, organic, grass-fed, whey protein, blah blah blah, which I've done back in the back in my days. You know, I've I've purchased all those super expensive supplements, but it's like just a cheap glass of milk, right, or a couple glasses of milk. So you think it'll do the job post-workout, and you just do just fine with that, huh? Yeah, definitely, because you're getting thirty grams of protein, you're getting fifty grams of carbohydrates, mm-hmm. and that is sufficient to stimulate, you know, increase your insulin, replenish your glycogen stores. And so like an hour or so or two later, I'm having more um, milk. So that's additional carbohydrates and protein. And that will be sufficient. Like you don't need more than 30 grams of protein post-workout to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And if you had something pre-workout, you don't even need 30 grams of protein. Like um, the research have shown that the optimal timing basically for uh, food is between four to six hours. Just make sure you're eating like every four hours. Mm -hmm. So if you have eaten two hours Let's say pre-workout and uh, one hour later you have in your post-workout. You don't have to have your post-workout immediately afterwards because you still have amino acids in your system. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, I just like to be safe. Get that uh, protein and, and a carbohydrate into your system. Get that recovery process going on. So why delay that recovery process? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you're not depriving yourself, right? You just, I mean, it feels good to have some sort of some food post-workout, right? It's like so, yeah, people start arguing about like, is it important? Is it, to, yeah, to me, it's just like it's so nothing better than having a good workout and then having a liter of milk right afterwards with some fruit maybe. I mean, it's awesome, right? I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's no benefit to not having that food. Yeah, exactly. That's because there's those people, those, you know, the point dexter kind of people that are very finicky about their research studies and all that stuff. They'll start arguing with you. Well, there's no reason, you know, the 30 minute anabolic window is bullshit. And then, and I just say, I just like to have some food after workout. And it's, why not? Right. Like you said, there's no, it's not like I'm going to make myself worse by having some sort of food within that anabolic window if it exists or if it doesn't. I don't care. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. Well, awesome, brother. Thank you so much for your time, man. Um, I don't know. Do, do you uh, anything to add? You, where can people find you, brother? Where can people reach out to you and find your website and all that? Just let people know. I'll link it also. Yeah, I, I'm just mostly active on my website, Men Elite. I try to post an article once a week. Then I'm also active on the Rapid Forum. My username is just Hans. Um, then I have a YouTube channel, which I can't remember the name actually, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> so I try to make a, another video about once a week. Then I'm also trying to be relatively active on Instagram, which is just, uh, men elite at, or Hans, like, I, I don't, I can't remember. Like, don't worry, I don't really I'll link it all up there, but yeah, but from your website, I think you have everything, um, that's, linked yeah, yeah, exactly. Website. I have all my links. I'll get it on. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's basically my website, those social media, and the forum where I try to help as many people as possible. Awesome, man. And thank you so much. Uh, it'll be out there. It'll, I'll link you up there. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I had a really great time talking to you. Things you own end up owning you.